to the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to begin the third of four of Moses' addresses to the children of Israel right before they enter into the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 27 begins an address that's known as the blessings and the cursings. It kind of lays out for the nation of Israel what uh, many people call the Palestinian covenant, which is a covenant in regard to their place in the land. The Abrahamic covenant back in the book of Genesis promised the children of Israel the land, period. Who owns the land? The UN tries to decide who that is, but we know the scripture declares God owns the land. It's his land. He is the landlord. He leased it out to the Canaanites for 400 years. The Canaanites abused it, worshipped other gods, never repented, never changed their ways. So the Lord sent the nation of Israel in to take the land. In essence, he evicted those who were there and gave it to the children of Israel. Now, while the land is in an unconditional covenant, that means that Israel will receive that land. There was a if you will, a tenant's agreement that says, if you do this, then I'll do that. And in Deuteronomy chapter 27, that's where Moses lays that out for the children of Israel. And we're going to see them agreeing to the covenant. We saw them back in Exodus. You remember when the law was given back in Exodus at Mount Sinai? The children of Israel's response was a good response. They said, we will do all that you have commanded us. They're, they're, desire was to obey now jesus had something to say about that in the garden of gethsemane remember the garden of of gethsemane and the, the the disciples jesus kept saying come on pray pray with can't you pray with me for one hour he lays out for them hey that the the spirit is willing but flesh is weak flesh is weak and in in the book of galatians we discover as as paul looking back at this time of the law he says listen Apart from the law, we don't know we need a Savior. Spurgeon would say that unless grace was threaded through the needle of the law, it would never penetrate man's heart. If man doesn't understand himself as a sinner, why does he need a Savior? If man doesn't recognize God's requirement, then will he ever call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to make that relationship right between he and the Lord. So when we look at this, as we, as we see the law laid out here for the nation of Israel, <clears throat> may we have eyes to understand that, that God's doing a big work. He's doing a neat thing. And prophetically, he's going to speak to us tonight through the words of Moses as we see the blessings and the cursings in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 1 begins. <clears throat> now Moses... With the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you will set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. Now the area in which God is calling the children of Israel to do this, we're familiar with today. It's between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim that puts it smack dab in the middle of a place later to be known as Samaria. A place full of what the Jews would look at as half-breeds 
as a result of one of the, the conquests of the northern kingdom taken by Assyria, mixed with several other nations, that's what Assyria did, left behind, their worship got twisted, where as, as, as Jews they had understood the worship of God, now they mixed in all these other religious systems in Samaria. They built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. You remember the woman at the well that Jesus spoke to? She said, we say that we should worship God on this mount. You say we should worship him on that one. Who's telling the truth? It became a twisted system. And so as a result, the children of Israel would do everything they could to go around Samaria. Until Jesus said, I, ha- I need to go through it. There's a young woman at a well, outcast from society, that I need to speak to. That's the place where God says to Joshua, stop and make a billboard. I mean, that's what he's doing. He's taking these whitewashed tablets and making a billboard to write out the law. To write out these requirements that God lays out for him. So when the children of Israel pass by, they see it. They're reminded of the things that God is requiring of them. This is, the, the, in essence, the tenant's agreement. If you want to maintain your place here in the land then you need to follow this agreement. Listen to this agreement. Hear this agreement and go forward with it. He says in verse 3, You will write on them all the words of this law, and when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God your Father has promised you. And therefore it shall be, when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal... You will set up these stones, which I command you today, that you may whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones, and you shall not use an iron tool on them. This is really important for us to understand. God never wanted the people's attention on the altar. He wanted their attention on the sacrifice. So he said, don't use a tool. Don't make ornate carvings and make it. Because if you look at all the pagan altars, the pagan altars would be all tricked out, you know. All fancy looking, all cool. You know, in fact, other uh, pagan religions would look at the altars of the Jews and say, it's so plain. Why do you make it so plain? Because God said, don't cut the stones. Don't cut the stones. He goes on to say, you will build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. So the focus was always to be on the sacrifice, which pointed to who? Jesus Christ. The altar was not as important as the sacrifice that was given on it. And so here, the same thing, he says, when you get there, make this billboard. You're going to write out the law on this billboard. Make an altar, but don't make it fancy. Keep it plain, earth and stones, nothing, nothing spectacular. The sacrifice needs to be the focus. And there you're going to offer your burnt offerings. What was the burnt offering a picture of? Total consecration or commitment to God. The burnt offering, if you think about it like this, Paul would say, I beseech you that... Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. Now, I want you to picture that living sacrifice as that which is placed on the altar in the fire. How much of that sacrifice is not committed? If it's in the fire, it's committed, right? So, 
the burnt offering speaks of that commitment, utter, complete, consecration to God. In fact, when the children of Israel enter into the promised land, in the, right there in the shadow of Jericho, okay, I want you guys to picture, there's Jericho, these massive walls, children of Israel getting ready to go to the battle of Jericho. The people on the walls of Jericho can see them, can see where the children of Israel are. God says, now, before you go into battle, I want you all to be circumcised, all the guys who weren't circumcised. Really, in the shadow of our enemy? While the the people in Jericho are looking down on us, be circumcised, what happens if they attack us during those couple? Men don't feel like fighting after a circumcision. (laughs) That's why they circumcise babies. Because men can't handle it unless they're babies. So they have this circumcision. What did that whole thing speak of? That whole thing spoke of the nation of Israel saying, God, we are wholly and completely committed to you. Whatever you say, however you direct, whatever your plan, we're going to follow it. Completely, utterly, totally committed. And we know the story of Jericho, right? The reality is, what were the people in Jericho doing? They were sitting in Jericho freaking out because the children of Israel were out there and they knew that God was guiding and directing them. They knew the stories from Egypt. They knew about the wandering in the wilderness. Rahab would say, we've been afraid of you for years that you would come. And when they came, that didn't change. What did the Lord promise them? I'm going to make your enemies afraid of you. I'm going to scatter them. I'm going to give you the victory. Did it matter what the children of Israel did? No, they needed to do was be obedient to what God laid out for them. Then in verse 7, he says, You will offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. Remember, the peace offering was an offering that they, like a meal they shared with the Lord. The meal that they would share with the Lord. And so it says, And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Now Moses and the priests... Uh, The Levites spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Now you look over and over and over again as we look here in this section that we're going to read. You're going to see something common in the Old Testament. It's called a tetragrammaton. It is, in your English Bible, capital L-O-R-D. It's the Yahweh. It's the Y-H-V-H the impronounceable name of God that is written capital L-O-R-D. It's the covenantial name of God. It's the actual name of God that tradition says the high priest would whisper in the ears of the next high priest how to pronounce that name. But whenever it was written, only written in consonants. Impronounceable name of God. And so when we look at that, we're going to see this as we go through this capital L-O-R-D, the Lord your God, Yahweh or Yehovah. Therefore... You shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. When you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So Mount Gerizim would be to the south, Mount Ebal to the north. Mount Gerizim would be the the hill of blessing. Mount Ebal would be the, the hill of cursing. And they would go through this ritual when they went into the land where they would divide their nation. 
And basically, all the ones on the Mount of Blessing, Mount Gerizim, were the sons of Rachel and Leah. And on the other side were the sons of the handmaidens. Now, there is uh, two uh, sons of Leah on that side. One is Reuben, who had lost his birthright, remember, because he slept with his father's uh, wife or concubine. So when we look at that, that's what we'll see, the division between the two. And the Levites will speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel. So here you got in front of this hill, and roughly there's about 500 meters between. So you've got all the guys on, the, on this hill and all the guys on this hill and the Levites standing in the middle. What it created, what there is between those mountains is a natural amphitheater. If you ever have an opportunity to go into a natural amphitheater, it is a trip. I had a chance down in Bethshean in Israel to go into a Roman built, a handmade amphitheater. And, and uh, as you go into this uh, amphitheater, as you sit in there, someone can go down on the bottom. Now, they're a long ways away from you. And upwards of sixty to 80,000 people would fit in this theater. At the time when this Roman city was, was active. And that one person down there with no sound equipment, no nothing at all, because of just the way the, the structure is built, could speak in a nice, easy voice. And you can hear everything they say. It's amazing. Well, there's a few natural amphitheaters there around, especially around the Sea of Galilee. You remember when Jesus uh, gave the the the... The fish and the loaves, feeding of the 5,000. The place where he did that, again, is a natural amphitheater where he's able to stand there by the shore and because of the hillsides around him creates this natural, natural amphitheater and he'd be able to speak and they'd be able to hear him. Every word that he said. It's amazing when you have opportunity to see this. So here you have this, this great horde of people, but because of the way that the, 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 uh, terrain is structured, we have an amphitheater where the Levites will be able to speak to them and they'll be able to hear. And this is what they're going to say. The Levites will speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, here we go, we're going to go through some of the curses. Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And then all the people will answer and say, that was weak. I'm sure that they would make them say it again if it was that. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> huh? Yeah, that's true. So as we take a look, the first curse deals with the first uh, two commandments. Okay? When we look at these cursings, God's saying, in essence, the Lord is saying, this will be my judgment if you do this. And when the children of Israel say amen, they're agreeing to that consequence. Okay? So when God says, hey, cursed will be the man that, that sets up uh, worship of false idols, creating these false idols, which we know in the history of Israel they did. It was one of the struggles that they had all the way through the Babylonian captivity. So when we look at it, God's saying, cursed will be the people that this occurs with, and they're saying, I agree. I agree. We agree to these stipulations in regard to our position in the land. All right, he goes on. Cursed is the one 
who treats his father or mother with contempt. And all the people will say, Hey, that's a lot better. It's like you're all studied up now. <clears throat> Cursed will be the people who, who, uh, who treats father and mother with contempt. Now, again, this relates to family life. And here's something that's important to understand and something that our country is missing right now and is actually a, a pretty vital issue in regard to our standing as a nation. And that is that marriage was always, throughout the scripture, the, the foundational uh, work of family. And when you attack or disrupt marriage, you attack or disrupt family. And when that occurs, we haven't learned anything from history because it's the same thing that happened in Rome. And Rome ceased to exist as a power. Why? Because the families were disrupted, destroyed as a result. The, the center of family. It's, it's uh, somewhat disheartening to hear our president say that I'm not going to defend constitutional law. He doesn't agree with it, so he's not going to defend it. And it's amazing how the next day after he said that, there was a file submitted to repeal uh, the, the uh, what, eighth, what is it? What am I trying to say? You know, the one in California that illegalized homosexual marriage, Proposition 8. They're, the next day, they, they've come against it, and the president already said, we're not going to defend it. What do you mean you're not going to defend it? What, what oath did he say when he took office? A promise to defend what? The Constitution. Man, we're, we're in some crazy times, aren't we? The beautiful thing about the crazy times that we're in, it's not to put fear within us. It's not. Nothing to be afraid of. Jesus said these days were coming, didn't he? He said, these days would come. And what's our response to that? Our response is to trust Jesus, look for the return of our Lord, and occupy till he comes. That means we, we set out the good news of Jesus Christ, because that's better news than what Obama did yesterday, or the day before that, or what he's going to do before somebody else gets in there. The, the bad news is, whoever else gets in there is going to do dumb stuff too. If we haven't learned anything from politics, we should have learned that much. That our solution is not going to be the next guy. Our solution is when our country, our nation, repents and returns to that which it was founded upon. And that is where we are in trouble. Now that's why here he says, hey listen, cursed is a man. And, and I want you to look at the parallels in the cursings that he's going to lay out here in our own nation. Now, I'm not trying to say we're Israel. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying, look at the parallels. God says the cursed is going to be the nation that, the, that does these things. And look at how many of these things we could apply to our own nation. So, cursed is the one who treats father and mother with contempt. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, I want to say there's something like eight, I want to say 8,000, but it might be too many, assaults a day. Between, uh, by children upon their parents. That seemed like a lot to me. <laughs> Cursed is the one who treats his father and mother with contempt. And all the people said, Amen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Oh, see, you guys are good. Okay, this is a, <coughs> excuse me, this is a concept that deals with property. 
means not to rip off your neighbor. In the time of Israel, the way that they would mark their property is they put stones, a little pile of stones. These are the four corners. Now let's say I'm in the tribe of Judah, and I have an allotment, right? Each tribe was given a certain amount of land. So I'm given that allotment. I lay out my foundational stones, my four corners of my property. I lay that out. And now my neighbor, the guy next to me, let's say he's from another tribe. And he notices that I'm not paying a lot of attention to them stone things. You know, I'm just doing my thing. And so little by little, year by year, he moves them a few feet each year. So that he can enlarge his borders, enlarge his property. Not only is he stealing from one tribe to another, but the Lord says, cursed is a man who does that, ripping off his neighbor. One of the things you're going to notice about each one of these is they are sins that have to do with the, that you can do in secret and nobody knows about. Nobody knows about it. Nobody necessarily sees it. But nonetheless, you're ripping off your neighbor. And the Lord says, cursed is the, is the people who do this. <clears throat> Verse 18. Cursed is the one who makes a blind, makes the blind to wander off the road. And all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. So God cares about the treatment of disabled. Apparently that is something that Idaho is not uh, aware of. Seeing how we just dropped all funding for special needs kids. In public education. So the Lord says, hey, I care about how you treat what you do with a handicap. Don't push a blind man in a ditch. Who would do such a thing? Joe. Joe would do that. <laughs> in case you were wondering, Joe, Joe would do that. One day coming home from school, he beat up a blind girl in a bus. There's no pride in beating up a blind person. Yeah, it took us a while to get over that one. <laughs> so he was cursed all over his backside. <laughs> cursed is, <laughs> curse is the one. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people will say, Amen. Okay, so God cares about justice, not just for me, but for the alien, the fatherless, the widow. Okay, that means he cares about justice for those who are within your country that aren't part of your country. Okay, he, he, he wants them to receive the same justice. That means if they're wrong, they deserve the same justice as anybody else. And the fatherless and the widow. And people all throughout history didn't care about them. There was nobody to, to plead the cause. God says, I plead their cause. It matters to me. It matters to the Lord. So he cares about justice and kindness being given to them regardless of their station in life. Verse 20. Curse is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed. And all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Okay, now these next uh, six are going to deal with sexual purity. The first one, they, they get a little weird as we go through, as we take a look at them all. <laughs> that first one is why Reuben lost his birthright. Because he lay with his father's wife. He lay with his father's uh, concubine. You understand when the Bible calls a woman a concubine, it's a wife without rights. They're still married, but she doesn't have any right to inheritance. 
So, uh, and there's no dowry and none of that. Usually a concubine was a slave or a handmaiden. In the case of Jacob, remember Jacob, Rachel, Leah, and Gilda and Hilda or something like that. <laughs> you guys know what I mean. <laughs> so, in, in regard to this, curse is the one who lies with any kind of animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. Curse is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Curse is the one who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, Amen. 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 Anything that threatens marriage or threatens a family weakens a nation. And all of these sexual sins accomplish that. In a lot of ways in our nation today, we see the harm that, that molestation <clears throat> has within a family. How, how much pain and, and, and disruption it ca- causes in life. And the Lord says, I don't want you to be a part of this. Now, why does he say all this? Because the nation they're going in is full of this. They're full of it. And the, the Canaanite peoples, they were all about these things. All these things that we're reading were part of their pagan worship part of what they were about verse 24 curse is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly and all the people shall say Amen. okay now when we talk about attacking a neighbor secretly it does not only mean physically it does mean physically as well but you you know that you can attack your neighbor with words right with gossip with untrue stories of slander you can attack your neighbor. God says, cursed is a man who does that. Then he goes on, cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person. And all the people shall say, and then just in case any of those didn't apply, cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. amen. While you're holding on to that place, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Just by way of reminder, you may remember Paul is going to refer to this as he's talking about um, our relationship with the law. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law, to do them. That's what we just looked at. So we fall under a curse. Why is that important? It's important to recognize <coughs> that by the law, no one is saved. What's he saying in the next verse? But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. That we're not saved by the keeping of the law. We're saved by placing our trust in Jesus Christ. When we place our trust, our weight into Jesus Christ, we have his righteousness upon him. I heard an interesting story. Maybe some of you are aware of it. In, in, in the Chinese uh, um, alphabet or, or, or their writing, the word redeemer, the symbol for redeemer, is interesting. In Chinese, it is the same as the symbol for man, And then over top of man is a symbol for a lamb. That the lamb is over man. That is righteousness. 
That is what it means to be righteous, to have the Lamb over man. And that's exactly what Paul's alluding to. For us to be right with God, we're not able to keep... The law shows me that I didn't make it. The law shows me I need a Savior. So I have the Lamb over me, Jesus Christ. Put my faith and trust in Him. That is where righteousness comes from. The purpose here in Deuteronomy is to say, we're under the curse. All mankind, under the curse, born under the curse. Now in chapter 28, he's going to lay out some of the blessing. Now it comes, now shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I commanded, or I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Sometime when you get home, I want you to do a search at how many Nobel Peace Prizes have been won by Jewish people. Just do a little search. Based on nations, what nations have won more? Nobel Peace Prize, science prizes, any of those type of things. You're going to see that it's unbelievable how many have been won by those who are uh, Israelites or, or of Jewish descent. So as we look, God says, listen, if you do all these things, I'm going to raise you high above all other nations, and all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the country, blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. And blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise against you, to be defeated before your face. They will come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. Just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, and walk in his ways, then all peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods, and the fruit of your body, and the increase of your livestock, and the produce of your ground, and the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain in your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful To observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods or to serve them. As he lays out these blessings, I'm reminded the similar promise that we receive in 1 Peter that we're a holy nation. Just like the nation of Israel, the church, a holy nation. And Rather than focusing on the 613 commandments of the law, as as some would list them out, 
we would rather focus on what Jesus was asked. What was he asked? What is the greatest commandment? That you love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, might, everything that you're about. That you love God with everything. This, this, this unfathomable idea going after God with all that you are. And the second is like it, right? You love your neighbor as yourself. The fulfillment of all the law and the prophets are found in this. That you love the Lord your God. When we listen out the law here, isn't that the same thing he told the children of Israel? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. With everything that you are, love God. In fact, God said, cling to me. Hold to me. All the law and the prophets fulfilled in this in this concept that we love God. That we love God. And one of the basic ways where we see the love of God faltering is when the children of Israel would go after idols. What is it? How did God describe that? When they would go after idols, God described it as adultery. He called the nation of Israel his wife. Right? And when they would worship other gods, he said, you are going a whoring. Giving yourself under every green tree, he lays out in the book of Jeremiah. That you're, that you're going out and, 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 and giving yourself away to all these other religions, all these other gods. <clears throat> when we, who are called the bride of Christ, when we find ourselves in a place that we are not loving God that way, with everything that we are, are we guilty of less? Are we guilty of less than they are? If my primary focus is, you know, my, my shiny Harley Davidson in the garage. If that's my focus, that's my primary goal, that's where the abundance of my time is spent. You want to know what your God is? Many people have said, look at your checkbook. Follow the money. The money will tell you where your God is. Follow the, the trail of money to where it goes. Follow the examples, those things that, <clears throat> that rob us of our time with the Lord. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because the scripture says that if we would follow Jesus, we would keep his commandment, right? You'll keep my commandments. Same commandments we're talking about. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. Do we need help in that? Sure we do. But we need to understand the same thing and the same blessing. We want to experience the abundant life in Christ. I will not experience the abundant life in Jesus Christ when I am walking in disobedience and I'm not loving the Lord my God. When I'm forgetting him. Isn't that what they were guilty of? They forgot God. They forgot God. But don't worry, God gave them some signs. When you see this, you'll know you forgot me. And all you have to do is repent, and I'm right there. Right? If we get a thousand steps away from God, how many steps does it take to get back? One step, right? Repent. Repent. And the Lord is there. And he'll put us back. He'll get us back on track. Get us back where we need to go. As we look in verse 15, it says, But it will come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And you're going to notice, when we look at the cursings and the blessings, 
Four times as much space in these two chapters is devoted to cursings than to blessings. And part of the reason for that is, this we're going to see, it's going to enter into prophetic statement. It's going to tell us what's going to happen. What's going to happen to the nation of Israel. Let's look. He says in verse 16, Cursed you will be in the city, and cursed you will be in the country. Sounds familiar, right? It's a reverse of what we just read. Cursed will be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. <clears throat> Excuse me. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing confusion and rebuke in all you set your hand to do. Until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. And those words, perished and uh, destroyed, they indicate a brokenness or a separation. More than God is saying you're going to be wiped out and cease to exist as a people, he is saying you're going to be removed from the land, from this place of blessing. You're going to be taken out. You're going you're gonna to now be scattered among the nations. Okay, so these are, this is what the Lord is laying out for us. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation and severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, with mildew, and they will pursue you until you perish and your heavens, which are over your head, will be bronze. That means no rain. And the land beneath you and the earth, which is under you, shall be iron. means nothing's going to grow. It says you're going to enter into famine. If you look at the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth begins like this. There was famine in Bethlehem in those days. Bethlehem means house of bread. The house of bread had no food, no rain, no crops. And so this family, the family of Naomi, turned and went to Moab. Moab, the Bible says, is my wash pot. In essence, it's similar to saying Moab is my toilet. So the people who lived in the house of bread, when it stopped raining and there was famine, went to live in the toilet, rather than doing what God said. What did it mean if there was famine? What did it mean if there was no rain? It means that you're breaking these commandments. You're disobeying the Lord. Our relationship is broken. So God said, I'll stop sending the rain. The point was to turn to the Lord, repent, receive the rain. But rather than turning to the Lord and repenting, they went to the toilet. To live in all that garbage. Is that all that much different from the things we do today? Life gets hard. We're going through struggles. The scripture declares that what we should do first is look up. Call upon the name of the Lord. If we find ourselves in a place of sin, repent. But if we find ourselves as Job in a place where we're we're not guilty of, of having done any evil, just these things have come upon us, we're still to turn to the Lord. Call upon his name. Scripture says in all these things, Job did not sin. 
Job did not sin. He was <coughs> still righteous before God. But what did he do? He looked to the Lord. He looked to the Lord. That was what was to happen in these cases. But we don't always choose that. And we will take, we'll make one, mis- we'll allow one mistake to become two. Two mistakes become three. Pretty soon, we're a thousand steps from where God wants us to be. Living in Moab, married to two Moabite women, our sons, Chilion and Malon, which means puny and sickly. Are married these two girls in Moab, two Moabites, which, according to the word of God, they're not allowed to come into the temple for ten generations. Yet when, when her sons, when Naomi's sons die, when her husband dies, she hears there's bread back in the house of bread. There's famine's been lifted back home. She goes back home. And the beautiful story is Ruth the Moabitess goes with her. What does that mean? That means when we mess up and do dumb things, God still gives us beauty for ashes. He still does. That's an Old Testament story. And God gave beauty for ashes. Ruth marries Boaz, who's in the lineage of Christ. Look at the lineage of Christ. I want to say there's three Gentile women in the lineage of Christ. And there's some shady characters, by the way, in the lineage of Christ. What's that say? Man, God can work in anybody's life, through anything. And so the Lord works in that life. So when we see the cursing, when we see the hard times, we're not to run away from God and, and look at God, oh, God's trying to destroy me. God tells us his plans for us are not for destruction. I know the plans that I have toward you, plans of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Not destruction, but he will put you out of the land. He will set you outside of a victorious Christian life. What for? The purpose that you would look to him, repent, and receive forgiveness and understand, oh, God, our relationship wasn't okay. I'm sorry, I forgot you. And enter back into the relationship that God wants us to have. Well, as we continue, he goes on and says, now the Lord... The Lord will cause you to be defeated, verse 25, before your enemies. And you shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Wow, the truer statement was never made. Was it? Who wrote this? Moses. How long ago? Long time ago. Did he know that CNN was going to carry a story on Israel every single day of the week? No, but he says right here, you will become troublesome to who? To most, to some of the kingdoms, to everyone. Who did he say? To all the kingdoms of the earth. Do you understand what you're reading? That Moses said Israel, the Middle East, that area would be a problem for the entire world. Well, let's take a little note. What does the Middle East look like today? (laughs) Well, let's see. We got Egypt upside down, doing all kind of crazy things. No longer. Now we have Iranian ships moving through the Suez Canal, not being inspected. Who knows what they're taking in, where they'll be within range of Israel. Bad. That's not good. To before the new 
uh, uh, regime, if you will, in Egypt, every one of their ships were inspected. Now, nobody's inspecting nothing. Nobody knows what they're doing. They're just going to let them through. Buy reins upside down. What's going on in Libya? <laughs> Civil war. Civil war in Libya today. Seems like there's a certain amount of unrest going on in the Middle East, doesn't it? Should that be a shock to us? No. <clears throat> Who's at the center of it all? Yeah, God is and what nation? Israel. The one thing that all those people have in common is who would they like to see disappear? Israel. Who do they hate? Israel. <clears throat> they say, we'll have peace in the Middle East, just destroy Israel. The funny thing is, God said, he brought them back in, then he was going to defend them. Where are they? They're back in the land, right? God said, I'll defend them. God said, I'm going to help Israel to see me as the one true God. And he speaks about an invasion that's going to occur. Funny thing about all these nations that are in this alliance in the Middle East. They all seem to line up with what the Bible said would happen in the Gog-Magog invasion. Russia, Iran, Persia, <clears throat> Turkey. Yeah, you know, Turkey used to be looking for a, a home in NATO. Did you know that? They, Please let us in. Please let us in. And NATO said <clears throat> they were the red-headed stepchild all the time. So who are they hanging out with today? Russia. The same people the Bible said that they'd be hanging out with. When that invasion would come. And it's, the Bible says when that invasion comes, Israel is going to be taken by surprise. They're going to go, oh my gosh, what do we do? And God's going to wipe it out. And then they're going to know. Ooh. Maybe there is something to this. <clears throat> Maybe there is something to God Almighty watching over the nation of Israel. Ezekiel lays out for us. I don't believe that that battle has occurred yet. Now, everybody doesn't agree with me. There are people smarter than me and people that are dumber than me that disagree. And I really don't mind if they're wrong. It doesn't bother me at all. <clears throat> they can have whatever view they want. I believe that it's going to take place. It's going to happen. But listen, let's look at Zechariah chapter 12. We have time. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 12 and just kind of <clears throat> consider that which the Lord lays out for us in Zechariah. <clears throat> if you get all the way to the end of the Bible, or not to the end of the Bible, but to the end of the, of the uh, Old Testament, then turn left. Right before Malachi, you come to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12. Let me share Zechariah chapter 12 with you. <clears throat> the burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. When they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all people. All who would heave it away will surely be cut into pieces. Though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. And we know that that day will come. 
There was a time when there was one nation standing with Israel. That was us. That is dramatically changing. We as a nation at one time were the only ones who recognized <laughs> excuse me, Jerusalem as the capital. Now, what are we calling for? To give them back. Give Jerusalem back. Nobody else. Every, the rest of the world always wanted that, but we would always stand with Israel. But that's not our, our position anymore. In that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah will say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day, I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in a woodpile and like a fiery torch in the sheaves. And they will devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left. But Jerusalem shall be inhabited again. In her own place, Jerusalem. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David, the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, shall not become greater than that of Judah. In the day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. I'd just soon (laughs) skip verse 10 and take a look at chapter 14, but we might as well read it because it's a great verse. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for the firstborn. And speaking of the deliverance, ultimately of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the, of the nation of Israel, at the time, at the end, of the battle of Armageddon, when all the nations of the world are gathered together in one place against Israel. And we look at verse four, or chapter 14, and <clears throat> just share a few verses here in uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. And your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken. The house, the houses rifled. The, women's, the women ravished. <clears throat> Half of the city will go into captivity. But the remnant of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against these nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it shall move toward the south. When the Lord God returns to defend Israel. Once they come back into the land, God will defend them. We're coming to a time when we're looking toward these events. We're we're moving the world. The pieces are moving. The stage is set. Things are happening that have never been happening before. That are happening today. What is the point to all that? To put us in fear? To make us afraid? No. 
to tell us, get busy. Get busy. Jesus is coming soon. Be busy sharing the gospel. That's what matters, right? Hey, I can fill someone's belly. I can pay their rent. I can, I can make sure they have electricity. But does that help them if they don't have a relationship with the Lord? If they don't know the Lord, so what? Their belly's full in hell? We're to be those who are sharing the good news, the truth, so that people can spend eternity with him. That's what we're supposed to be about. Not spending all our time being afraid, but looking for those opportunities. To, when a world is saying, what is going on? Can you believe how crazy the world is today? Yeah, I can. Jesus said this would happen. Take a look. You know, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then no matter how bad things get here, that's as bad as it will ever be. For you are promised to spend eternity with him. We want to lay out the truth so that God's, <clears throat> God's name is going to come to light. Scripture goes on in verse 26. The carcasses will be food for all the birds of the air, the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. And the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and tumors and the scab, and you'll itch <clears throat> an itch that cannot be healed. And the Lord will strike you with madness, blindness, and confusion of heart. And you will grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually. And no one shall save you. Think about the, the history of Israel. Tell me one place that they went or that they were scattered where people said, we're happy to have you. There's a lot of, of minority groups on the planet that want to say they're the most persecuted. There's only one of which that's true. The Jew. Period. Why? Because the hatred of the Jew is demonic. It's demonic. Read Revelation chapter 12. When the devil couldn't destroy the plan of God, what did he turn his eyes toward? The people of God, those who gave birth to the Messiah, who gave birth to the Messiah, the nation of Israel. What do we see happening with the nation of Israel? Because of their disobedience, they're dispersed and hated everywhere they go. But somehow they're never assimilated. Isn't that weird to you? That they're just never become, I mean, you and I, I don't mean, some of us know where we come from. I'm a mutt. I don't know where I come from. I, I got, who knows all the blood I got in me? I don't know. Nor do I care. But the Jew always stayed distinct, separate. It's interesting. It's interesting to be called back home to the nation of Israel. Well, the scripture goes on. You will betroth the wife, but another man will lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but shall not gather its grapes. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey will be violently taken away from before you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies and you shall have no one to rescue them. Think about their history. Your sons, your daughters shall be given to another people and your eyes will look and fail with longing for them all day long and there shall be no strength in your hand. Now, I'm not trying to say that this is speaking of events in the future, but when I read that, I can't help but see 
the, the cattle cars full of Jewish women going one way, men going another way, and kids going a third way, and you're never going to see them again. Ever. Moses, before they entered into the promised land, is writing about it. He's talking about the things that they're going to go through. It says in verse 33, And a nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes have seen. That reminds me of Zedekiah. Zedekiah was a puppet king set up in Israel when Babylon took over. And and he was supposed to make sure there were no more rebellions. But another rebellion arose. King Nebuchadnezzar was done. And the scripture says in Ezekiel, one scripture tells us that he'll see um, the the land of Babylon. Another scripture says that he shall not see it. And, And people would say, what in the world is going on? And then you look at what happened to Zedekiah. They bring him into the land. They take and pass his sons before him. And they kill every one of his children before his eyes. And then they pluck out his eyes. So the last thing he saw was the destruction of his family. And when we look at this verse, what's it say? So you will be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes have seen. But just prior, we're talking about their blindness. Their blindness. Listen, the Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed and from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you or your fathers have known. And there you will serve other gods, wood and stone. Who's he talking about? Babylon. Listen, their struggle with idolatry will not be cured until they spend 70 years in the center of idolatry. After that 70 years, they don't struggle anymore. So the Lord says, you know, in essence, it's like a dad who catches his boy smoking. He says, okay, son, you want to smoke? Smoke the pack. And they smoke the whole pack and get sick. The Lord says to the nation of Israel, you want to, you want to be with idols? Fine, I'm going to put you in the center of a land Filled with idols. Seventy years they spent in that place. When they left, they were cured. They didn't want to have anything to do with those idols anymore. The Lord will bring you. <laughs> and the king that you set over you. Now, at this time, did they have a king in Israel? No. Who was their king? God was their king, right? And he spoke through the priests or, or the judges. But God knew one day they're going to call out for a king. He goes on and says, And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, a byword among all the nations which the Lord will drive you. What happened? That's what they became. An astonishment. And you will, you shall carry much seed out of the field, but gather little in. For the locusts will consume it. You will plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms will eat them. (laughs) You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory. But you shall, but shall not anoint yourself with oil, for the olives will drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Locusts shall consume all the trees and the produce of your land. 
The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, you shall be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you. Excuse me, until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and the statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder, and on your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Therefore you shall serve the enemies of the Lord, the Lord will uh, send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Now, at verse 48, everything changes. Because in verse 49, it doesn't say, if you do this, this will happen anymore. In verse 49, it says, and the Lord will And from verse 49 on, we're going to look at the prophetic things that exactly describe what the nation of Israel goes through thousands of years after Moses. How did Moses know? God says, I'm going to tell you history in advance so that you will know I am the Lord your God. He lays out for them blessing and cursing. He lays out before them life and death. And God says the same thing he says to us. Choose life. But man is bent on destruction. Is there any doubt to that? We are bent on destruction. I never had to teach my children to lie. I had to teach them to tell the truth. I never have to teach my children to do wrong. They pick it up real easy. I have to teach them to do right. We are born in sin. Completely and utterly born in sin. But God, who is rich in his mercy toward us and the love with which he has loved us, he'll make us alive in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, he makes a new creation. He changes our stars. He changes the direction our lives are going in. But only in Christ Jesus. Apart from him, that future that they go through is not all that different from ours. Apart from Christ Jesus. Doing that amazing work of changing lives. Changing everything about. I love that Jesus does that. And when I look at this, I'm reminded, as Paul pointed to this, as Jesus quoted from it, we look at it and we say, wow, you know, by the law, no flesh shall be justified. Only what? Cursed. Cursed. But then what did the scripture say? Cursed is everyone who does what? Hangs on the tree. And then the scripture declares to us in in Galatians that he took the written requirements that were against us, the law, and he removed them out of the way. How did he do it? The Bible says he nailed them to the cross. That he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
Jesus took it all out of the way. Jesus paid it all. That's why all to him I owe. When I recognize that, my response is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if I forget that, I forget him. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for an opportunity to study your word, to open your word, to understand, God, that on that road to Emmaus, Lord, when you appeared to two of your disciples, the the Bible declares to us that you began to show them at Moses how the Messiah was to be, how he was to suffer. And when we think about the Bible that Jesus read, that's the Bible we study right now looking at the Old Testament. When we hear the Apostle Paul declare, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. What whole counsel did he teach? The Old Testament. Showing that every page contains reference to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, God, that you give us a hunger to devour your word for for our faith, our trust in you is built on the foundation of the Old Testament. It's built upon that foundation. That's our background. That's how we understand the truth that you lay out for us now in the new. Lord God, make us hungry to receive those things. Make us hungry to devour the word and make it a part of our life that we would desire to know and understand. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just pour out upon your people, that they would hunger and thirst for righteousness. For your word declares when we hunger and thirst, we will be filled. Lord God, move among us in a mighty way, for we desire to see revival in our community. (coughs) But Peter told us, That that begins, judgment begins in the house of God. Starts with us. Realizing, recognizing, we have forgotten you. And we need to return, repent, believe what your word tells us. And live what your word lays out for us. God, give us that intense, incredible, crazy love for you. For that is what we desire. That we would walk as you walked. In that love, one for another. Lord, we pray that you would just uh, watch us and keep us. Keep us from fear of the times that we live in and help us to focus our eyes, God, on what you're doing. You said these days would come, hard days, days of wars and rumors of wars, but you also said, don't be afraid, the end is not yet. But when you see these things coming, lift your eyes, for your redemption draweth nigh. Lord, I thank you for Mama Espinosa in Mexico. And she told me all those years ago, I can see his toes.
as your toes are hanging over the edge of heaven, just anticipating the time of your return. But rather than look at that return and say, oh, I got an opportunity to be lazy, we should remember we're to be busy bringing the word of truth to those who are lost so that we may be found doing, being that faithful servant, sharing the truth of Jesus Christ to the end. Fill us with boldness as you ignite the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. May we live lives that glorify you, magnify you. When people look at us, may they say, not that I want Jesus, but not the church. May they say, ah, I see Jesus in the church. I see him there. I see him in love lived out practically. I see him in what they do and who they are. May we reflect you, Lord. For that is what you have called us to be. Holy priesthood. Holy nation. Totally committed. Consecrated to you. When you look upon us, may that be what you see. Father, move in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.